Hello and welcome to the High With Confidence podcast, brought to you by people to you This is a show for employees looking to gain a performance edge through quality people solutions, as well as job seekers looking for new employment opportunities. It's not about you knowing everything, and it's not about you being the best at everything. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's around leading people that make you better. Think the labour hire industry is boring? Think again. Our first ever guest has been part of the industry since 2007, and today you'll learn about what type of person works in labour hire, as well as gain an understanding of the modern CEO. Before we start, People to You acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Please welcome People to You's CEO and Managing Director, Grant Anthony Savari. Yeah, thanks, Beck. Thanks, and uh, thanks for using my middle name too. There's not a lot of people that know that. Most of my friends say it's Anthony with an F. <laughs> but, well, the uh, secret is out, hey? Yeah, that's right. So but uh, so Grant's of will do from now on, but that's okay. No, thank you very much for coming on, GSAV. I do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, your first guest. So, um, yeah, if I if you weren't the first guest, I'm sure I would have heard about it. So Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, right, let's jump straight in. Um, so you're currently the CEO of one of Australia's most dynamic labour hire company. Uh, wind us back. Where did your career first start? Well, I left school um, was probably the first thing I did because it just wasn't for me. I, I found that uh, I was spending more time trying to find ways out of class than trying to find ways into class. So I uh, I went to my parents and said, uh, what can I do outside of, uh, outside of school? And Dad said, well, you know, you can either do an apprenticeship or you can continue going to school. I was halfway through a 13-week course and uh, got offered an apprenticeship. Halfway through my apprenticeship, probably my second year, I started working for, at that time, um, Australia's biggest labour hire company, Skilled Engineering. And I finished my time and my apprenticeship with them and then continued to stay with them for a little while after becoming a, a, a tradesman. The change of being able to, you know, one minute be working for one company and then, you know, the next week going and doing something else, just the change. It's not the, you know, the same thing day in, day out, working in different places. I was lucky enough to work basically all over the state. But one thing that uh, I found was that, you know, the constant change is something I really enjoyed. I decided that once again, a bit like school, that I wanted to sort of get off the tools. I always had a passion, I guess, for uh, sales and administration and those sorts of things. I used to, I used to say, uh, um, I could sell ice to Eskimos. You still do. Uh, I, I still, I still, I probably still do. Yeah. Uh, most people would say I can just talk a glass eye to sleep. But, um, <laughs> then, uh, what I decided to do was, um, my, my father had actually got, who was, a, who was a boilermaker by trade, got into welding sales and, uh, selling welding equipment and welders. And then he actually joined a labor hire company, uh, in a sales role called Shellgrave Contracting. I then went for for an interview there and I didn't actually get the job at the start. It went to another guy uh, in, in a sales and account management role. Then I got a phone call about three weeks later saying the guy that we originally gave the job to um, hasn't turned up. So I went uh, I went back there and, uh, and, and started working there in that sales role. I thought I would enjoy 
the sales more than I did, to be honest. One thing about labor, selling labor hire compared to selling something else, you don't actually have anything to show anybody. There's no product. There's no, you know, you know, if you're selling vacuums or something, you can actually show them how the vacuum works. Whereas, whereas in, in, in the labor hire or, or recruitment industry or, or as I like to say, you know, the staff, the staffing solutions sort of space, there's no product to show anybody. So realistically, the one thing that I sort of, learned in the very early days and it was probably I guess being thrown straight in the deep end but probably what has helped me along the journey without having an education to become um, a CEO and running my own business and that's a matter of believing in yourself and selling your own service so I think if you can if you can sell yourself to a company then they'll use whatever service you're trying to sell because they believe in what you do mm. so that's one thing that I always tend to to wanted to do was to go in and sell myself, wanted people to work with me. And once I realized that people wanted to work with me, then it wasn't a matter of price anymore or, or whatever it may be. It was that they wanted to use my services. And I probably found that a little bit more later on in life after sort of about a year to a year and a half in, in sales, I got offered a job as, um, in resourcing and, and realistically my job was at that stage, which was, quite uh, mind-numbing, was just going through resumes and, and basically just picking people out that I thought would be suited to work for, for the company at the time. Like, wasn't even wasn't even uh, interviewing them, was just going through resumes and then handing them over to the operations people, um, as we call them in our industry, operations being um, uh, basically end-to-end recruiters from hire to fire and, and everything in between. And, and, you know, then and then the operational part of our job would be to... to as the orders come in is to place the people in the right, in the right places. So I started doing that. And then one of the operations guys resigned and I got an opportunity to go into operations. And I guess cut a very long story short after a few years that I became the national operations manager. I worked out through Queensland and spent a bit of time, went over to Perth. We, we were going to look at opening up over there. We ended up doing it and, and we were going to expand into the rest of the country. At, at that stage, my, my father was made redundant. And that's when he started a, another labor hire company. And then that gave me the opportunity to, um, to, after conversations with, um, uh, with my previous employer that sort of didn't go, didn't go a hundred percent my way. I decided to, to move on and I joined as a, as the general manager of AIL at the time. And then, as as a lot of people know, that we were, well, I was there for a while, and uh, then became the the CEO, and and had a small shareholding through through my my family, and then you were quite young when you first became the CEO, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Um, I was. I was trying to. I was trying to think about that the other day. I I reckon it would have been around twenty. 16, I think, 2016, 2017, when I became, became the CEO. Well, I've only just turned 34. So, um, you can, you, I'm, one thing I like is numbers, but counting backwards, I normally like counting forward because that means it's more in my favor. But, um, so, you know, that's so, so probably for the sort of last five, six years, I've been, um, or well, six years, if we take it from 2016, um, I've been uh, a, a CEO. And as recent as uh, March of this year, I actually started my own company, um, and and hence why I'm the managing director and CEO now. So I guess that's the the long story of how I became a CEO. Uh, but fifteen I, look, years in about eight minutes. Hey? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fifteen <laughs> years in about eight minutes. But but I think I think the major thing that I I, I tend to 
to reflect on is one thing about being a, a CEO or, or, or any sort of leader, it doesn't matter what it is, it's, it's not about you knowing everything and it's not about you um, being the best at everything. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's around leading people that make you better. So, so it's about having um, the things that you can't do or the things that you're, aren't your, everyone has strength, strengths and weaknesses, as they say. So anything that's a, do. so anything that's a, that's a, um, a strength of mine, I tend to want to focus on. And most of the time that's around numbers and finance and money and, um, and those sorts of things. But, but the. I, I tend to agree with that. Like strengths and weaknesses. People say you have to bring your weaknesses up, but I, I'm, I think aligned with you on that page that, you know, these strengths are strengths for a reason, like honing on them and just make them even stronger and stronger. You know? Well, well, I, I take it back to when they, when you've, oh, have you ever heard of the, um, the process of elimination? Yes. And, and, and I, and I do this and I do it the, the same, same way. Like if you, if you, if, if it's your weakness, then, then try and eliminate that weakness. And if you can't eliminate it, then substitute it. And if you can't substitute it, then, you know, you manufacture something to, to make it work. I might as well focus on the things that I'm good at. And, and I, and I think I, I go back to everything I do mostly is, is related back to sport and, and those sorts of things. You need a team to, to strive and you need team of people that are good at what they do. You can't just go out and, and expect, you know, the coach or the CEO to, to win everything. You know, it's got to be everybody underneath and everybody working together for the same common goal. Why I think we've been so successful or part of the reason was the relationships that, that I've developed, but then the relationships that my um, sales and account managers have developed over the years is that whenever, wherever they go, the clients come with them. And it's not because of the company they work for. It's because of the relationship they've built with that individual. So that's what I was saying before about one thing about that I try to you know, tell all the team. It's about selling yourself. It's about, and, and when you, when you're trying to sell a service versus trying to sell a product is that once they, once they believe in you as an individual, um, it doesn't matter where you go. They'll be a client for you for life. Some of the jobs and some of the major projects and things that we've worked on and delivered really well. I, 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 I think it's credit to everybody. And again, I think it goes back to just having the right people around you. Talking about big outcomes, you know, small team, big outcomes. Are there any, I guess, stories that pop to mind from the last, you know, year in 2022? Yeah, look, I think our biggest achievement is what we've been able to deliver on the Metro Tunnel project. I think that's something that I'm, I'm quite proud of. And it's because when you look at us as a size, the larger, more established, I guess, labour hire companies, temp labor or recruitment agencies or whatever whatever you know other in people that say they're competitors of ours can we wouldn't even get a look in at that and i just think that um they gave us an opportunity and and i think we've delivered you know there's been times where you know we we just went through we just went through a pandemic and i know everyone's sick of saying it but we we did and one of the things that came out of that pandemic that i'm sure everyone's aware of was was a staff shortage and probably one of the things that that People, I, 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 people used to say to me all the time, Oh, geez, you're in the right game, aren't you? You know, you've got a staff shortage and, and you're a labor hire company. You should be flying at the moment. But if everyone out there is feeling staff shortages, then we don't have the people to give. I, I've been saying this last year. It's the first time in 
15 years of labor hire, however long I've been in, where I've actually got more jobs than I do people. Yeah. And that's, uh, yep. you know, I, I've never been said that, said that to this year. And I'm, I'm, you know, the people in this office are probably sick of me saying that, but that <laughs> is, that is really true. But that's what Ben's also hearing out there is like, there's so much demand, but there's just not enough supply. There, there isn't. Back then I used to complain that, you know, we, we, we'd have a hundred jobs on and only one, one person to fill it or vice versa. That's no truer today. It is like that. But one thing that I will say is that, you know, we were asked for specialty people and with, I guess, my contacts over the years and with the likes of Ben and Pat and everyone digging in deep, um, we were able to find the skilled labour that they required. And when I mean skilled, I mean highly skilled that they've required up and, and still today require. Those guys with the skills, it's it's one of those things where we say it's an employee's market. You know, they can pick and choose what they want to do. But I guess... You know, and everyone would probably just turn around and say, oh, it's because of the money they're on. But I'd also like to put out there that sometimes I think it's also the person you work for. Yeah, the money always helps. But at the same time, they can go and work for another company out there on another project, probably earning the same sorts of money, but they choose to work with us. And, and I think that's a um, credit to us. I think that's, you know, they, they know they're being looked after. You know, like you just, you know, look, I know people can't really see on a podcast, but like all the uniforms behind, you know, we provide quality stuff to people. I, I always say our best sales guys are our employees because they're the ones actually out there doing the work. So I like them to walk around with PTU all over them. And if they're, if they're wearing that with pride and it's, you know, it's new, it's clean, it's not old and, it, you know, and it's, and it's uh, you know, it's what they want. It's warm in those cold mornings and all those sorts of things. And, and yeah, it may, may cost a bit of money, but, but you can't put value on how much exposure that gives you and then how much that helps the employee to want to do the right thing on, mm. on site. So, yep, I think the money has a lot to do with it. But I think secondly, it's also, it's also us as an employer that makes people want to come and work for us. And I know, um, obviously you said Metro Tunnel is a, a big outcome for our, our small business. And I know when I go past those sites in the city on a tram or walking to the city, like knowing that people to you are on those sites gives me a bit of a buzz. Like, it's, it's yeah, a huge, it does. It does, project. doesn't it? It's, I used to walk into Woolworths or walk into Dan Murphy's or something and, and see that and, and, and used to used to think, oh, I, I know how they got there and, and where that probably started from. And, and to be honest, I probably was standing looking at the line or, 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 or fixing the line next to it as that particular bottle was coming past me because it all would have come out of that same place. So I sort of get the same sort of kick, but on a larger scale now when I see, you know, um, on on the media and all these, uh, you know, on the news and all this, oh, the Metro Tunnel, and, and especially the um, the TBMs, the, the tunnel boring machines, uh, you would have seen... Some people would have seen on LinkedIn on the news that the, the on the Metro Tunnel the bore is breaking through, and I I got a bit of a kick out of that because the the big shield the big metal shield that goes around it basically to protect all the, all the internals our guys welded all them so so it was it was it was pretty cool to to sort of see that come through and just think yeah you know, our guy our guys did that we provided the guys that did that and now what they did has now completed that particular part of the job so so again it gives me that f- feeling i used to get when walking into and in, in, when sitting there on the news and and seeing those sorts of things so just quickly in a nutshell in a one minute nutshell oh, that's going to be difficult i know i know it's hard but what other passions outside of business do you have well yeah a few i've got a few different passions i think one I think, minute grant one minute. yeah i know i know I've got, i haven't got a lot of time so i'll rush i'll try and rush through it, but that's that's pretty hard for me obviously the first and most thing i'm passionate about is the richmond football club i think anyone that knows me knows that 
I tend to care a lot about it, hence why you work for me, Beck. If you didn't play for Richmond, you wouldn't have a job. Um, no, no, it's been communicated loud and clear. Now. And uh, also my, my wife and children, no, rich, no Richmond, no pillow. So they uh, they know all that sort of stuff. Probably probably second to that's the Australian cricket team and especially the test team. I love my test cricket. And then uh, outside of sport, I've got a passion for watches. I've got a passion for the some of the finer things in life like jewellery and nice clothes and all those sorts of things. And I guess the other thing I'm passionate about is um, travelling overseas and, and even starting up some businesses over in uh, Indonesia has been something that... Uh, Gives me a bit of a hobby and something to do outside of outside of labour hire. So, yeah, if you're looking for a tattoo or a tour or yeah, a restaurant bar, yeah, exactly. In Bali. Yeah, correct. Come and come and see the Savari brand. We're uh, we're expanding rapidly over there, but um, it's an exciting time for me and my family. And it's good to, as much as I still will be actively involved in in this business, it gives me something else that, you know, and a bit of a a bit of a break from the 15 years of just labour hire. Wonderful. Now, you did mention sport in that um, passion list, but one sport you didn't mention was weightlifting. Mm. You were a pretty good weightlifter back in your day, and we're talking uh, Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, well, that, that's before that's before I uh, I probably put on 40 kilos and, and have knees of a 99-year-old. But, um, <laughs> but back in the day. Yeah, so I did have a bit of a passion for weightlifting. And used to used to do a bit of competition weightlifting. It was. Uh, I was trying to look it up for the research for this podcast, and I saw a couple of different profiles of yourself on ACT weightlifting, Victoria weightlifting. Yeah. SN equals snatch. Yeah. CJ equals clean and jerk. That's correct. And then there's the two lifts in weightlifting. Is that correct, mate? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that used to, yeah. So in Olympic weightlifting, um, I also did a bit of powerlifting, but not not sort of at a at a competitive national level, national level, but but yeah, yeah, that it's a it's a it's an interesting sport and something we're not very big in um, in Australia. The likes of CrossFit have helped grow that sport, but before CrossFit, there was it was no one really knew of it. It's actually it, it, the actual main Victoria weightlifting hall is at the Glen Ferry Oval, where uh, where Hawthorne used to play. So at the back of that's the uh, the Victorian Weightlifting Centre, and I've uh, yeah, lifted a fair bit of weight in there, but. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, something that I still tend to like to watch. Um, you know, when the Olympics are on and the Commonwealth Games, I still get a kick out of. I still think it's humanly impossible, even though they can do it, to see guys lift three times their own body weight above their head. You know, that's just to think of that is. Um, you know, what do they say? An ant can lift double its body weight or something, and people are amazed by that. But what about a human that can lift three yeah. times its own body weight? I think that's just. What was your best? We're talking um, about snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah, so so the most I ever snatched in competition was 142 um, at a weight of 97, and I clean and jerked 184 um, in competition. I did a little bit more in that than training, but, you know, we used to always say that your training weights, you're always heavier in your training rate. So I used to train at around 110 to anywhere between 15 and 110, I started competing in the 94 kilo class, then I went to 97. The weight class changed all the time. Then I was in the 105 and I finished in the 105 plus. So, which basically means you're competing with guys that are, you know, just under 200 kilos and, you know, and so their, 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 their lifting ability is just phenomenal. But I guess they've got a lot of weight behind them too. But Com Games, were you close to or you represented at the Com no, Games? No, no, I never represented. I, um, I uh, I did a couple of um, um, tryouts, and I 
one of the tryouts where I thought I probably had the weights to make it. Um, I tore the peck off the bone two weeks out. So, um, actually doing an accessory exercise, doing, doing some, some ring dips. Um, and so that uh, made it impossible for me to even, um, go into qualification. Um, and then there was another one that I was going to, um, go for and probably about the same time out, maybe a little bit earlier, I got actually got glandular fever. So then I dropped about 10, 15 kilos. So that was, uh, that was, um, yeah, not possible. Lucky last question because I've taken up a lot of your time being a CEO and managing director. Being Melbourne-based, Melbourne's renowned for a few things and coffee's one of them. What is your uh, daily coffee order? Uh, just a strong latte is my normal go-to. And if I've had one for the day, the second one is a magic. Yeah, right. Does that ever change or that's that's your recipe for success? Uh, it's normally my recipe for success. Uh, I used to only ever drink long black. Or, or short blacks. Um, and I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've probably gotten a bit softer and I need a little bit of milk in my in my coffee now, as they say. But, yeah, coming from New South Wales, you've probably never heard of a magic, hey, Beck? <laughs> I did learn it, about it, a magic about is, three it, years it, ago. It is a Melbourne thing. Um, which coincided And people, people tend to ask what it is. So I tell you, it's a double ristretto with flat white milk. And so, he knows what he's talking so, about because so, he has Italian heritage. So if so. anybody, if anybody uh, out there... Uh, who's a bar- uh, barista, which I'm sure most of them know it now, but don't know what a magic is when someone orders it. There you go. It's a double ristretto with flat white milk. So if you learnt nothing else about Grant Savari, he's just taught you what a magic is. So mm. uh, Grant Grant Anthony Savari, thank you very much for your time today and um, sharing your knowledge and some stories. I really appreciate you coming on. And, um, yeah, you're a great boss to have. I, I can't say a bad word about you. So, yeah, good luck for the rest of 2022 and I look forward to seeing where we go in 2023 and beyond. And have a look out for Rebecca Miller, number 15 at Richmond. What a superstar. (laughs) (laughs) That will do. Thanks, Grant. That will do. You're a busy person, so thanks a lot for listening to this episode. We appreciate you. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and to contact us, click on the link in the show notes or head to our website. People to you. People for here, there, anywhere.